Our Old Covenant reading this morning comes from Psalm 49. I'll be reading its entirety. This is the word of God. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Truly no man can ransom another Or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. That he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for shale. Death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in shale with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of shale, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though well he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Our New Covenant reading comes from 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 25. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, 
not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The grass withers, and the flowers of the field, they fade and they fall. But this, the word of our God from Psalm 49 and 1 Peter 1, it endures forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to hear your word, we recognize that by nature we are ignorant. We are unable to hear your word and understand it. Yet, Lord, we know that by your spirit and by the power that your spirit possesses, we have been given eyes to see and ears to hear. And so, Lord, we ask that in your grace, by your spirit, you would make us to hear your word, that we would think about it, and that the word of Christ would dwell richly in our hearts as he applies it to us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Turn back, if you would, to Psalm 49, as that will be the text for this morning's sermon. I know it's a little chilly in here. I did... Uh, talk to the custodian and the heat is on as high as it goes. It'll just take some time for things to get heated up. Just, um, just northwest of Philadelphia, there's this old white Presbyterian church that I used to drive by almost every day. And that church always interested me uh, for one particular reason. Because in, in, in the front of that church, there's a walkway. And before you get into the church, that walkway is actually through a cemetery. And so as you walk into that church, before you ever step foot into that church, you have to walk through this place where the bodies of the saints are buried. Now, this was a common practice in the way that churches had been built in centuries past. We don't do that anymore. Uh, I think the plans for a church building for us don't include a cemetery in the front. 
uh, so far as I know anyway. But this was common in the past. And you may be wondering, at looking at Psalm 49, what particular reason might we have for looking at this psalm this morning? You might think it's a little dark and gloomy, but I hope that we see that this psalm in many ways is, is like that church, like that walk into the church building, where first we must pass through the graves, and only then do we comprehend the mercy of God. Now this psalm is a little bit different than some other psalms that we typically are reading or singing. We refer to this psalm as a wisdom psalm. The phrases, the tone of this poem reads a lot like other wisdom literature in scripture. You may have noticed it sounds a lot like Proverbs at places. And and there's other places where it sounds especially like Ecclesiastes maybe. And like other wisdom literature, this psalm intends to provide instruction. Instruction that, if heeded, provides wisdom. Now, I want to look at this psalm in four parts. The first is that there is wisdom for everyone, verses 1 to 4. Secondly, the brevity of human glory, verses 5 to 12. Two paths, verses 12 to 15. And number four, God's answer to the riddle of life, 16 through 20. Now, what is wisdom? Well, from Scripture, from the Psalms and from the Proverbs, we see that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That to reverence God, to stand in awe of the Lord, to listen to Him instead of ourselves, is wisdom. And Psalm 49 has a message intended to warn us of something in particular, and that is the the emptiness of the world's glory. Warning us of the lie of materialism and the lie of accumulating wealth as the purpose of our lives. Wisdom really for altering our appetites away from the things of this world and towards the glory of God. Now this wisdom that comes in Psalm 49 we see is not a wisdom uh, that, that is this secret knowledge only given to a select few. No, we see initially that the scope and the audience to receive this wisdom is universal. Right? Just as all creation is called to worship the Lord, so too all the inhabitants of the earth are called to heed and hear this instruction and to be taught by God's truth. Right? This isn't only for the rich or the poor. It's for everyone. Now, there's so many things in this world that distinguish people. Where they live, where they were born, what they do for a living, how much money they have, how, uh, who their family is, what God they worship, what schools they went to, what political party they support, 
what organizations they take part in, and the list could go on and on and on in the ways that people are distinguished. And there's so much that distinguishes people that it seems almost impossible to make any universal claim about humanity. At least that's what the wisdom of the world tells us, that we're not very similar. This overwhelming diversity was so troubling to the modern mind that an entire philosophical system had to be developed. After World War II, there was a shift from imposing absolute truth in the name of progress, which was modernism, to throwing our philosophical hands in the air and questioning everything in this postmodern era that we find ourselves in now. It's said, it's claimed, that nothing is universal. Everything is subjective. And skepticism is the default mode of existence. Yet it is the scriptures that speak with universal clarity and relevance. Because behind the facade of unending diversity is an ultimate God-created unity in humanity. Look at what the psalmist appeals to in verse 2, where it says both high and low. The Hebrew phrases are literally also the sons of Adam and also the sons of man. See, humanity is not a collection of unrelated individuals whose identities are defined from within themselves or defined from within social contexts. Humanity descended from Adam generally. Individuals descend from their fathers specifically. And in terms of social order, both rich and poor, everyone, And the psalmist appeals to the unity of fallen man in in Adam here. And that's who's addressed. And to this united humanity, there's a riddle. There's a problem. There's a question that the psalmist is going to solve with this psalm. There's instruction here to be heard and, and to be understood and to be received And it comes with a question that perplexes not just the psalmist, but a question that is universally relevant to all people whose head is Adam. That is, all of those whose fathers are men. Tell me, is your father a man? Yes. (laughs) Then this is for you, everyone born into this world. And the psalmist speaks of this riddle in verse 4. But this riddle is not a joke. And this riddle is not an amusing mind game. This is a riddle that is sobering and serious and is universally applicable. Now the question concerning this, the questions that surround this riddle are are the common questions that we have. The common questions that maybe your neighbor is asking. The common questions that in your darkest moments of doubt, you yourself are asking. Right? Some of those questions that the psalmist asks in other psalms. Like, why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? Why? 
What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? What purpose do I have? How do I make sense of this world? Is there more to life than getting rich and having fun? Is this life all there is? Or is there something more? Listen to the refrain of this psalm from verses 12 and 20. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. These verses sound a whole lot like Ecclesiastes, don't they? People come and people go. People live and people die. The cycle continues on generation after generation. All flesh is grass. Now before you try to put a positive spin on this psalm, let's sit in it for a minute. We live and we die. Is there no purpose? The evil man prospers while the humble man suffers. What is that about? The riddle comes in verse 5. Why should I fear in times of trouble? Previous psalms like Psalm 45, 46, 47, 48 call the hearer to find refuge in God who is king over all the world, whose plans can never be thwarted, who preserves and keeps and shelters his people. Yet the Psalms before that, 42, 43, 44, take us into the inner turmoil of lament, where the people of God, though trusting the Lord, suffer greatly and face fiery trials in this life. And here we're faced with the situation which we have heard what God has said. Yet what we see around us is the appearance of strength and the appearance of security that comes through accumulation of wealth. And that's what the psalmist is seeing. Through the security of affluence. Now the problem that the psalmist identifies is not with wealth per se but in trusting wealth, in in boasting in riches, verse 6. Now this is the default mode of existence for all people, to trust in what they can accumulate, to despair of life when they cannot accumulate more, to put confidence in what they can make of themselves, to boast even in their own accomplishments. Yet the emptiness of such confidence comes to the fore in verses 7 to 9. Wisdom declares that nothing you can accumulate in this life can pay off death. There's a price for your life and you can't pay it. No amount of money can pay the price to keep you from that end. Even those intangible things, right? Your talents, your intelligence, right? The death that comes is no respecter of accomplishments. Look at verse 10. Even the wise die, and the fool and the stupid alike must perish. 
And then where do those people find themselves? Not in their mansions. Not in their dream homes. But in their graves. Taking none of their possessions with them. And think about this irony there in verse 11. The people who had cities named after themselves. Streets. Towns, countries perhaps named after them. In the end, those people possessed nothing except for the space of their graves. This is the great certainty for all people. That no matter how big somebody's name gets, they all die. It's a truth that our actions attempt to deny. Uh, 17th century philosopher and theologian Blaise Pascal wrote frequently about how people try to fill their lives with trivia to escape the inevitability of death. He says this, As men are not able to fight against death, misery, ignorance, they have taken it into their heads in order to be happy not to think of them at all. Does that sound anything like our world? Amusement? Distraction? And if that was true in the 17th century, how much more evident is it in our day of distraction and incessant materialism? This has seeped into the church, as sociologist Philip Reif has observed. He says, in past times, people did not go to church to be made happy. They went to have their miseries explained to them. Think of that church just northwest of Philadelphia where each Lord's Day the saints would walk by the graves of those they knew. Grandparents and aunts and uncles and mothers and fathers and friends and and maybe even their own child. What's more sobering and more fitting Preparation to hear the word of eternal life than to be stripped of all the illusion and all of the distraction and to be faced with the reality of finitude and your own weakness. That is good. As the psalmist moves on in verse 13 a distinction begins to emerge, right? There was a universality at the beginning. Now a distinction begins to emerge in verse 13. First, there's a path that leads to death. In verse 14, the imagery of the sheep is not a good one, right? We read Psalm 100 this morning as our call to worship, and it's a, it's a good shepherd there. And being sheep of that shepherd is is good. But here that imagery is flipped on its head. Because these sheep have a shepherd who is death. Who are led only to the precipice where they fall into the pit. Where they fall into Sheol. This shepherd does not lead the sheep to green pastures. But this is the path that every person is naturally on. But as we move to verse 15, a new path begins to emerge. There's something more. Now, 
we understand that scripture was revealed progressively over time in history. At least we should understand that. And that the doctrine of earlier revelation is often expounded more fully in later revelation. Whereas a doctrine may be revealed in seed form in the Old Testament, its fullness is seen in its unfolding in the rest of Scripture. And that's what we see here in the reference to Sheol. Sheol is the place of death. Irrespective of whether they are headed for heaven or hell, they go to Sheol, to the grave, the realm of the dead. But what we see here in verse 15 is that the path that is trod by every person to the place of death, that is not the end. Existence doesn't simply cease at death. And the psalmist in verse 15 gives us to the, the answer to the riddle of life. The answer to the, the inevitability of death. To the question of, of suffering and the meaning of life. And the answer is this. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. Death does not have the final say. I will live forever, the psalmist declares. And really, that's the hope of the gospel, isn't it? Right, the good news that comes in the midst of bad news. The bad news that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That the wages of sin is death. Right? Death is not natural. It's an unnatural intrusion upon this world as a result of sin. The bad news that the world in all its pseudo-wisdom denies as it claims that there is no life after death, as it claims the triumph of materialism, that the here and now is all there is, wisdom declares something different. You see, wisdom gives an understanding of the morning dawning in verse 14 where the tables are turned, where the first is last and the last is first, where the poor in spirit are those who inherit the earth. The answer to the riddle of life for the psalmist, right, the problem of suffering, the finitude of our existence, is that life is not the end in the way that the world sees it. There is eternal life. There is in fact existence free from the questions that riddle us. There is in fact eternal life held out where no sin and no sorrow, no more death, life full of glory in a new heavens and a new earth is promised to God's people. Now, How do we get that? How does that become my possession? How does that path become my path? The psalmist says that his hope is the fact that God will ransom his soul from death. Right? It's not that I can work my way out of death. It's not that I can earn enough to pay God for the cost of my life. Right? That was in verse, verses 7 and 8. The price is too high because we have forfeited our lives because of sin. Because we have broken God's law. 
And so there's a ransom price for our lives that no man can pay, which the psalmist makes clear. And God cannot simply forgive because he's holy. His very character requires that sin be judged. And so if there is going to be any hope, it is going to have to come from outside of me. And it's going to have to come from outside of you. And it's going to have to come only as an act of God himself. An act which at the same time will both display his mercy and his justice. Maintaining his holiness and showing his compassion. That a ransom price must be paid to God for the cost of our lives. A price that we can't pay. A ransom that God himself alone can pay. Listen to Jesus' words from Matthew 10.45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Listen to the words that we already heard this morning from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of the Lamb without blemish or spot. We should be reading... Psalm 49, in light of what Peter says there in 1 Peter. It's almost as if he has Psalm 49 on his mind. With that promise, with that hope, with the reality that has been shown in Jesus that God in Christ has removed your soul from the power of sin and death by satisfying the demands of justice. That because Christ has died... That Christ has paid the ransom for your sin and was resurrected in glory. That vindication of the success of his work. Because of that, you can be sure that just as Christ has been raised from the dead, you too will be raised from the dead and received by God and welcomed into his presence. That's, That's the promise held out. This vision of new mourning comes not through the act of man's will redeeming himself. It comes not through the amassing of wealth and power. Not through good works or helpful deeds. No, it comes from God alone. It comes not from sheltering ourselves from the thought of death. That that doesn't help us. It doesn't help us to try to ignore what the psalmist speaks about is the inevitability of death. But rather, it comes by staring death in the face and claiming Christ's redemption for us. That He has paid the price A gift that we simply receive by faith. Now the world treats Christians as if they have their heads in the sand with pie-in-the-sky ideas about heaven and about hell. But I submit to you that it is the world 
with their heads in the sand. Amusing themselves to death with illusions of greatness and glory while they try with all their might to pay off death, to give themselves more time and to deny its very existence. Right? Pushing it to the fringes of society. Hiding it as best they can. Following a path of materialism and gain. All the while failing to look ahead at those who have walked that well-trod path ahead of them. And gained nothing in the end. Are you any different? Right? Are they any different than any of the generations that have come before? See, with this psalm, we walk that path through the graves. And it is good that we do so. Staring sin and its consequence, death in the eyes, and coming out the other side with hope. Hope, because God will ransom my soul from the power of shale. Hope, because of Christ, who has indeed done that work. See, the difference between the wise and the foolish, the one path and the other path, lies only in God's act of redemption. You see, all people face judgment. Only those whose hope is in the Lord's redemption have confidence that God will ransom my soul from the power of shale, for he will receive me. Right? That's the confession of the psalmist. Right? Enoch walked with God and God took him. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. For the believer in this life, Death is not the end. The answer to Shorter Catechism question 37 tells us that the souls of believers at their death are made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. To be absent with the body, we are told, is to be present with the Lord. This is the hope of all of those who trust in Christ by faith. And it may seem really far away, especially if you're young. But the older you get, the closer it feels. What if you're not a believer here this morning? What if you're not trusting in Christ? And I assume that there are some out there who are not. Remember, this psalm was universally applicable. And God's word is clear. See, unless your hope is in Jesus, you'll have no ransom paid. Look at this great divide. It is not a divide between the rich and the poor. It's not a divide between the powerful and the weak. It's not a divide between this nation or that nation, this political party or that political party. The great divide here hinges upon the wisdom of God. That your works and your wealth and your wits and your talent and your beauty do nothing to keep you from the inevitability of death and death being the judgment before a holy God. To escape that judgment, 
As the psalmist declares, a ransom must be paid. And the only one who can pay it is Jesus. And Jesus has paid it on the cross. And there's only one way to receive it. And it's not by giving more money and putting it in the offering plate. It's not by looking at your 401k. It is to receive the gift that Jesus gives and to trust his ransom by faith. And you see, for the one who trusts in Jesus, assured by his saving work, assured by his ransom, having received forgiveness, having been given his righteousness, the psalmist says that if this is your confession, if your ransom has been paid by God himself, look at verse 16. Don't be afraid when man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. God's ransom actually gives us a new way of living here. Now this is different than the initial question in verse 5. Verse 5, the psalmist was asking, why should he be afraid of those who are rich and cheat him? But here there's no indication that the rich man is threatening harm. This call is not a call to be afraid but rather a call to look beyond the illusions. Why should I be afraid? That is to to see wealth and to see pomp for what it really is. I mean, we, we live in a world that is captivated by the rich and the famous. We live in a world that is awestruck by their fortunes, that is impressed with popularity, that is envious of lifestyles and looks. But the wisdom of God here, which levels each and every person, says don't be afraid of them. Not in the sense of fearing them harming us, but rather don't stand in awe of them. Right? Don't believe the hype. Don't give in to the illusion. Be not afraid. Because the fact is that all of the world's glory is but a vapor. And that's what the psalmist wants you to see. Right? Here today, gone tomorrow. The popularity, the money, the houses, the cars, the clothes. Guess what? It vanishes in an instant. It vanishes in death, from which no mere human can save themselves. There are those who may consider themselves blessed, who may gain the whole world, yet forfeit their souls. All this to say, really, The glory of worldly gain is empty. And that's something that we need to hear and to be reminded of. 
It is without understanding. And it does not see what is true. Dear brothers and sisters, has the wisdom of the world captivated your heart this week? Have you been in awe and been envious of those who seem to be better off than you? Maybe you imagine how much better their life is. You know, maybe they seem to have it all together. The psalm calls us to walk again through the graves. Walk through the graves to see the emptiness of the world's pomp that you would enter into the church and gaze upon the glory of the cross. God's word here calls us to redirect our awe, to redirect our fear toward the Lord who never comes up short. <clears throat> our Lord who, who never promises more than he can deliver. Who does for us what no one can do for us. Who ransoms our soul from sin and death. You see, walking in wisdom in this life means forsaking the values of this world. And it means living in light of the end. It means that your only comfort in life and in death is that you belong, body and soul, to Christ who has ransomed you and made you his own. The answer to the riddle of life is the Lord Jesus, isn't it? Who is the way and who is the truth and who is the life? The one who came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father... It is good that we are reminded with sobering words about the reality of the fact that this life is a vapor. It is good that we are reminded that we need not fear this world or its passing glories. But Lord, that we ought to fix our hearts and our minds upon Christ, who is our glory. Oh Lord, would you weed out those fears of this world in our hearts? And Lord, would you give us a renewed reverence for Christ and the glory of his cross? We ask in his name. Amen.